Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals after we've gotten all of our technical difficulties together, yeah. right now we could talk <laughs> about took a this, second. right? And uh, what's funny is Amanda, I, I think I talked to you a long time ago, and then mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, I'm, I I like to do these series where I do different topics, and we do like a kind of a Netflix limited run type of thing. And I said, oh, you know what? I should send this to Amanda. I should tag her in this diet culture series, and that's how this started to form here. And, and you reached out to me at just the right time. Cause I was just wrapping up my book and I was thinking of ways that now that I'm done, like living in my hole and writing, it's like, Oh, how do I share? And how do I talk about these things I'm really passionate about? But, um, I was also reflecting on when we first got in touch and I remember like it, it came to me so quickly and it was really funny in hindsight, because this was over five years ago, I was in grad school and I was researching, I was just like looking up cool people on LinkedIn that I could learn about. And this was before like people shared a lot on LinkedIn or like people really used it for networking. It was more like, oh, you like add someone once and then you never talk to them again. <laughs> but I was, I was in that like place in my life where I'm like, what do I want to do? Who do what do I want to be when I grow up? And so I started reaching out to people that had studied what I studied in college. And we both studied kinesiology at JMU. Yeah. And then we realized we were both athletes at JMU. And so I reached out to you because I found your profile and thought what you were doing was so cool and was so inspired about how you, you wove all these things in your, your life together. And yeah, you were, you were someone that we called it informational interviewing at the time. And you were someone I really looked up to and it's been cool to kind of be on this fly on the wall of your, your evolution and your work, because I find inspiration from you in even more ways now than I initially reached out to you for, because you find a way to do so many different things, but you do weave it together really beautifully. And I've been thinking about how I do that for myself. So yeah, thank you for being, being someone that I can look up to and, and admire. I really appreciate that. That's so nice of you to say, and uh, you know, go Dukes, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) The JMU connection (laughs) is beautiful. Yeah, the JMU connection is beautiful because it's always just amazing people at JMU. Mm-hmm. I was, mm-hmm. I, I think we were talking about this before. I just incredible people come from James Madison University. Seriously, like do amazing things in life. I'm sure this is true of all of many colleges, obviously. Right. We know we're just homers for, you know, JMU. But. Well, it's, people are so generous and they've been really giving of their time to share their knowledge and, and support people. And I hope to do the same for other people as well. And so it's this circle that just keeps on giving. Right. Yeah. And, and you have someone do that to you and it makes you want to help someone else. And actually, I don't think I told you this. I live in Harrisonburg now. That's crazy. Yeah. I loved, <laughs> I never would have imagined when I was a student at JMU, I was definitely in my bubble as a swimmer, didn't really get off campus or do anything outside of swimming. It wasn't until I moved back here and was doing sustainability for the university within their dining program. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, this place is incredible. It's when I got into triathlon and being so close to the mountains here and just an incredible community of athletes, which was really what kept me in the outdoor yeah. recreation. So yeah, like I've planted roots in Harrisonburg and never in a million years would have expected that <laughs> while I was a student. 
That's funny, James. You know, I find that Harrisonburg is has gotten so much better. I, mean, I haven't been there in a long time, oh, yeah. but um, I know so many people I went to school with that live there still. And yeah. this is like 20 something years later. It really attracts a certain crowd. Yeah. Um, it's a special community that we have here. And I always thought when, you know, when I was in grad school, like when I was talking to you, I thought I needed to go move to a big city and do these yeah. great large adventures and feats in my life to, or I was settling. And it wasn't mm. until I think I became more comfortable with myself and my skills and realizing it didn't matter where I was, but like what I made of it. And I've been able to make something really special within my community here and feel like I can actually make a difference and it helps. I work remotely. So yeah. like, that's another thing. I know Same jobs here. are kind of hard to come by here, yeah. but I'm really fortunate for, I think remote work enabled me to be able to access a lot of different people and communities online, which, you know, is a huge thing when, if you're not living in a big city. Yeah, most definitely. It's funny as I left JMU and I just like have gone the furthest away from JMU. I mean, I'm in Washington state. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're not in Arizona. No, I, I am like so far away from JMU. Oh my gosh. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You couldn't be more further. <laughs> I'm like the furthest point away <laughs> from JMU. Well, I'm your connection. That's right. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been great. And you talked about this kind of five years. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know what... What has changed about you the most over these five years from our initial conversation that has surprised you? So I think what really surprised me is um, I've been I've been so content, satisfied and fulfilled in my life living simply. Hmm. I thought that I in order to succeed and make the most of myself. I think this comes from the athletic background that we have. It's always like, you got to win. You got to be the best in your career, the best in your sport. You know, you have these goals for yourself. And I was worried that by, uh, not constantly like quote unquote, challenging myself, I was not, um, striving for the most and the best in my life. And, and to me to live a life to have a life well-lived, you are striving, you're growing, you're trying to improve upon yourself and improve around the world around you. And I realized that looks very different than how I imagined. So I thought that meant like perhaps at a big company or like building this a crazy impactful startup that like would like expand and scale across the world. And this was the impact I was going to have and that it needed to happen right when I finished grad school five years ago. And instead I realized I can do a lot of different things very well. I kind of, I can say, I don't know if you ever heard of the term multi-potentialite, mm -hmm. but it's someone that has passions and interests and skills across different industries. And they find a way to weave it all together. And I realized I love doing that as like a consultant, as a coach, as a professional athlete, as an author, as a community builder, there's all these different ways that I can, I can utilize the best of myself and, and feel like, you know what? Like it didn't have to look or be the certain way that you're, I guess you're told when you're coming out of school and it instead it turned out way more beautifully. And it's been really cool to see that unfold. It's interesting thing about life. You feel like you have these plans of how it should be and right. it almost never ends up that way. Mm -mm. Like, no, I think ever. it ends up way better, way better. And it's like, it, I think it's a beautiful thing to strive towards a goal or to strive towards something because we don't put that intention out there. We don't start uh, walking in a direction towards it, then we're never setting out on a path to get anywhere, but you have to be open to that path shifting directions. Right. And yeah. like, if you do listen to that and you follow that lead, beautiful things come of that. We can't just force ourselves down this path just because we said, this is the way it needs to be. And this is how I want it to look. 
What's also interesting about that, you mentioned something about winning. Mm. And obviously, we were at JMU and both athletes. And I actually just put out an episode today that it's real simple, but it's like sometimes your best isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you've ever been an athlete, you know, this is a this happens a lot. Sometimes mm-hmm. you sleep really well. You eat really well. You train mm-hmm. very well. You're you do smart, everything perfectly. You print perfectly and you don't win. Do it right to the plan. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's an interesting lesson because yeah. we're in this sometimes society where it's like, I'm going to manifest all these good things in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to like, if I'm just positive enough, all yeah. my thing, all everything will happen. But that's not reality, though, in mm-hmm. life. Sometimes you just lose, man. You know, well, or it's not the success you thought it was going to be. You know? ex- oh, that's it. OK, so I wish I listened to that podcast before we hopped on. So I could <laughs> just like dive deeper into your reflection there. But I've been reflecting on this myself lately. Um, on next week, I'm going to Italy for off-road world triathlon. And it was a last minute decision that I, I made. I qualified a while ago and I, I just have been doing a lot. And was like, I don't know if emotionally and energetically, this is the best move for me. Um, I've been traveling, it's expensive and it takes a lot out of you to like go across the world and, and, and compete at the highest level. And it wasn't until last week when my mom said that she would come with me, (laughs) my mom, uh, and I, you know, we have a mother daughter relationship. It's not always easy. Right. Right. But, um, my mom also has breast cancer that spread throughout her body. And she goes, I don't know if I'll ever have the chance to go to Italy. And I was like, shoot, okay, we're going like, I'm buying our tickets. Like we're going to Italy and I feel I'm so ready and fit for this. Right. And so it felt like it, it put meaning behind it. And to me, when I thought about what I want out of this race and like, what does it mean? Like what is winning to me? I showing up to a race, healthy, energized, desiring to even be there and not burnt out by the time you get to the start line. To me, that's winning and like knowing and so deeply believing and knowing what I'm capable of in myself. And I can't control like what everyone else is doing. So all I know is that I can have the race that I want. I can put out the effort and I can put out the strategy that I've been practicing and I can be confident in my ability. However, that plays out with the rest of the field that doesn't matter to me. And, and I love how sports challenges that yes. challenges, like what's that finish line? What is that end goal that you're talking about? Because if it is a certain time, and I know it is like in track and field, like it's yeah. a certain time you're hitting, you know, it's very clear with triathlon and all your locations changing and the terrain changing and the competition changing, you can't be like, this is the split I want to get because the mountains are going to be different in a world's last year, there was a monsoon and the swim got canceled and like all these variables are changing. And I love how you're forced to adapt to it. Like that's what I trained for to be able to show up and adapt to that. So to me, I already won by showing up and being healthy and being able to go, like being able to be there is a gift in and of itself. And I've completely changed the way I look at like what it means to succeed since swimming in college. And I think competing at that level has allowed me to have a really healthy relationship with it um, and perspective to detach my worth and my value from my performance. Cause that's really hard to do when you put all yourself into something. It totally is. I, I I think, you know, we probably had a very similar experience and a lot of athletes do is um, you may win a lot at a certain point in your life, maybe Mm -hmm. high school or something, and you get into a different level and, you know, you lose a lot more than you used to Mm -hmm. in terms of just the who gets first, second, yeah. whatever, you know, yeah, you're on a different caliber too. Right. And you have to redefine what winning means to you. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, the effort you're putting into and what are the victories you're going to take from that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I was like motivated to have to talk about that is just also because the fact that just sometimes, you know, you're just not going to get what you want. Yeah. It's just that happens. And um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. All the time. Every you know? race isn't going to be the perfectly executed race either. Right. And it, that's not a failure. And and I look at sports and competing as like this um, continuous cycle. Right. Even at the day that my last race comes, those lessons and everything that I took into racing, it doesn't end. It doesn't stop there. It goes into the startup. It goes into putting, pursuing the next ambitious goal. Like we need to look a lot larger in than the context of the race and competing and training. I like to think of training as training for life. So like, I'm not yeah. there just training for triathlon. Like I'm training for myself. I'm training to show up every day better. That is why I, I train. It, it is to continually see and push my boundaries. And, and once we get the perspective that it is like so much more beyond like whatever the outcome is, um, I, I think we begin to have a very health, much healthier relationship to training and competing than uh, getting very hyper focused on like just the race yeah. too. Cause you know, we, you know, you hear a lot about uh, mental health struggles with athletes. And I think a lot of that comes from the lack of perspective in sport. And you, we really have to emphasize that in order to overcome those challenges that are going to come when we're pursuing anything super meaningful to us. That's natural. It's a good thing to care. It's a really good thing to care. Actually, it's a gift. I used to look at it as like a, a, a weakness for me. Like, I wish I didn't care so much because maybe it'll be easier. Maybe I wouldn't put so much pressure on myself. Like I would, yeah. I have journal entries of me you know, sobbing as a kid after my meets and not being happy to what I amounted to. Like you were talking about not sometimes you just don't get what we want. And sometimes we don't perform to what we are capable of performing. And I think that is the hardest meet and race to walk away from when we know so deep within ourselves inherently that we hold the ability to meet the goal or our, our limit in our head. And we don't like, that is the most painful. I think and you, when you reach that every day, like that stings, that really is hard. It does. I actually, I was thinking in my mind, we were saying that about a few meets where I was just so dejected about my performance. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I am so much better than this. I mean, you can't do anything about it. Once it's over, you can just, you think about reflect on, then you got to go back to practice and you got to keep putting the work in. And it's a good kind of, it's, that's why being an athlete and competing is so great because you learn those skills of like getting back Mm -hmm. up putting Mm -hmm. in the work over and over again, the repetition that because a lot of doing well is not glamorous. It's just like putting in the reps. Oh my gosh. It's like the reps, the reps, the reps, and just showing up day after day and like it and showing up with intention and strength and, and focus too. It's not just like, I'm just here. Like I'm just showing up. I think sometimes we just throw around at least show up. No, like fully show up. And I mean, like fully show up with your whole heart and your whole head. Like you need to be present there. Um, so when, when you got dejected, I'm, I'm interested in how those lessons carried over for you, because like, I know the lessons that carried over for me in dejection into life and how that's allowed me to pursue the work that I do today. But I love making that comparison. Like for you, how have you seen that, that like that translate into your life now? I think for me, it's just primarily like, um, Losing is not a bad thing. It's just like Mm -hmm. conflict is not always a bad thing. It's like, it helps me. I'm going to use that and understand that, you know, listen, this is where I'm at right now. 
And all I can do is just keep chopping the wood. I'm going to keep putting that wood down there and keep chopping at it and keep going after it. It just, it builds resiliency for me. It just built a lot of resiliency, Mm -hmm. consistency, you know, because how many times have you back in the day, especially I remember you're going into Godwin hall, you know, (laughs) Godwin, good old old Godwin hall. And you just don't feel like being there, you know, but it's it's lap after lap, lap after lap, you know, interval lap after lap, you're there Mm -hmm. weightlifting and you just feel like you're on rinse repeat every day doing Mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. It's just, but you got to show up and you have to like be there as your full self regularly, which is just really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And as a professional in the world, that's also hard to do in your job and your personal relationship, whatever it is. But I think athletics helps you to do that. Yes, absolutely. And one thing I was thinking about when you're talking about like showing up like the rinse and repeat cycle. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's like, it's constant, right. It can get really monotonous. One thing I have recognized recently as I've continued my career in sports professionally beyond the collegiate level. And I think about all my teammates who like, won't even touch the water again, yeah. or they have a really, uh, challenging relationship to exercise because it mm-hmm. was so exhausting. And, and they walked away from the sport feeling very dejected, feeling maybe like they didn't reach their potential or that it, it was all for nothing. Right. And, and I ask myself a lot, why do I like, why am I the one to that continued loving swimming? Why am I the one that wants to keep going? I certainly was not the best. Like I was a walk on at JMU my first year and like, I earned my way up and like competing on the travel team and at the level that I was. And the thing that I keep coming back to is that I really just love it. (laughs) Like I love who it makes me be. I love how it makes me feel. I love the people it brings me into the communities it brings me into. And like you have to find the joy in each day of it. And I, that sounds super cliche. Like you must love what you do every day. You don't love what you do. Like, no, it's like, it's not like when I like am puking because it's so hard. I'm loving that. (laughs) I love the limit pushing. I love what it gets me. I love the process. Like I really truly am so process oriented that that is what keeps me there. Like I, I don't compete that much. Actually. I mostly just train because I just just like training. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really, I just love it. Like I, the, the reason I'm an off-road triathlete is because this is just my lifestyle. Like I get out in the mornings on the trail. I take my dog for a mountain bike in the afternoon. Like I, I just love it. And so much, and I want to keep loving it. That's really important for me. And the second I start to feel like this isn't fun anymore, like fun is fun. Amplification is my number one priority right now. Yeah. If it is not fun. If it is not effortless in the sense that like, I don't seek this, like then I need to look in, inward at my energies and be like, what is draining you right now? What's pulling you away? Why is this so hard for you? Because, um, I face a lot of burnout and a lot of plateauing yeah. as an athlete growing up. You're talking about like you might be really great when you're in high school or middle school, but then yeah. you get to college at a different level. And it's like, oh, wow, I'm humbled. Um, I didn't drop time like my whole middle and high school career. Like I was really good as like an eight-year-old. Um, right. And I just kept doing it because I, when I knew what I was capable of and I was like, man, I might not see this tomorrow. I might not see this this year, but like, I know I hold this within me. And when you have to hold on to something for so long and the only faith you have is in yourself, like no one else is going to tell you that. Like it develops a type of, inner trust that no one can give you and no other experience can give you. And I think developing inner trust and knowing that we are capable of doing something is the most important skill for us to have, because that gives us confidence to take on 
any kind of risk in life, I've been meaningful experience in life. And I thank athletics so much for that, because had I not been tested, I don't think I would have pursued a lot of the most meaningful experiences in my life. I mean, it's well said. It's, I had a thought too, it was interesting. I, we're built from the same mode about kind of the testing yourself. Mm-hmm. But I also have a very, I have a different thing. thing. I, I never pursue exercise for fun. Like, uh, I don't care if it's fun. Okay. Like it's actually, it's nothing for it's me. It's not fun for you. Not, no, I don't, I don't care about the fun. It's a means part. to an end. For it's you? just, like, uh, no, it's just the testing myself aspect. Got it. Like I, I'm a big proponent of weekly testing yourself. Uh-huh. And that's even though like, you know, a swimming is very similar to track and like mm-hmm. a lot of the interval oh, yeah. work and repetitiveness. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's excruciating. Like the pain yeah. is excruciating. Yeah. Um, and the clock doesn't lie. No, it doesn't lie. The track doesn't change. There might be some wind that day, right. but the track ain't lying to you. But I never, I never like was like, oh, I love these workouts. But mm-hmm. what I did love was that I was always at the end of my rope pretty regularly. And I like to be in that place because yeah. it made me question who I am on a regular basis and, and to deal with and confront that reality of how am I going to survive this? Mm-hmm. How am I going to create an armor for this? That I continue to today. I don't know if that's weird or not. Honestly, no. I just think it's no, like, because it's I want to like, be tested regularly. Where does your mind go in those moments? In those moments where you are brought in like wrong dry at your yeah. absolute limit, where does your yeah. mind go? Where does your self-talk go? What are you saying to yourself? Because yeah. those patterns and that self-talk is exactly what you're saying to yourself when in any other challenging circumstance, but movement practices bring that to the surface yes. and challenges bring that to the surface. And so many times like, other people that aren't as self-aware of those thoughts that aren't challenging, like pushing their limits, they don't recognize that they are having that sort of self-deprecation or self-defeat or disbelief in their self, but movement brings it to the surface. And then it you're does. forced to challenge it. You're like, I am not getting through this workout if I don't face this right now. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, being a trainer for 22 years, like a lot of clients avoid the limit. They, mm-hmm. they want to avoid the limit. Scary. It's this thing you have to start kind of come to grips with this. Not everything has to be like a mind blowing workout, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying like, it's good to have to test yourself. And, and because it, it's when you get to that end of your rope, it's 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 spiritual, it's emotional, it's social. It's mm-hmm. it's so many. It, it brings up a lot of things about what it means mm-hmm. to be human. And I think yeah. if you're never experiencing that, forget exercise, just anything that tests you. Yeah you're not bracing yourself or building hardiness for the challenges of life. If you're not Mm -hmm. getting tested regularly, I think that's some of the issues I think we're facing is just not a lot of testing on a regular in our in health and wellness in general. It's like, Mm -hmm. let's make it comfortable for people. Comfort is, is fine, but it doesn't move you up. Mm -mm. It doesn't push you to another level being comfortable and having convenience all the time. No, I think about you're talking about in athletics and there's so many circumstances for life, the whole process of writing my book and, and basically what I'm writing about is actually like the meta of like how challenging it was to write and, and, okay. and finish this goal because it was like everything and every way I was designed did not want me to finish this book. Yeah. Like my brain doesn't think linearly. I couldn't finish a chapter. I was losing my work. I just couldn't, you know, like growing up with ADHD, it was like, I was always told that like 
you know, your brain just doesn't work that way. And like, that's not, it's not something you should do. Right. But you are really good at sports and you have a lot of energy. So you should just pursue that. And I mean, it took me three years to write it and it finishing and writing that last page was me making sense of myself. And when you were saying about, it's not comfortable, but the hardest and most on the other side of the hardest thing is the most rewarding as well. And it is truly where we find ourselves. If we aren't pursuing that, like we aren't forced to come head to head with it. And I was forced to come head to head with myself in a different way than sports, you know, forces you to do, um, because it was mental. It wasn't just like showing up physically. It was, it was just me, myself and I, in my head. And like, but sports gave me the confidence to do that. If I hadn't been challenging myself daily in the physical realm, I wouldn't be able to have that carry over to what I can do when it comes to my career either. And, um, that I think that's an underlooked at benefit of exercise, right? We look at all the, the, oh, it's great for your health and and for your, like your blood glucose and all these things, but it's like, oh, well, what about the, our resiliency and our perseverance? Those are the qualities that are, can't really measure that, but I can tell you from experience that I've noticed those benefits every day every day. Most definitely. I, you know, I want to transition to get back to, to health. Let's focus on mm, health yeah. and let's talk, focus on nutrition. Yeah. And these are your areas I know and writing your book and the recipe. Yeah. Before we dive into that, I, I'd like to ask this with anybody that's in the big family of health and wellness mm-hmm. professionals. Yeah. What is health to you? What is that operational definition in your mind? Well, I'm going to just go off my gut here. Um, I look at health from a very broad perspective, um, and you're not always nailing all of these at once, but to me, health is feeling, uh, safe, capable and, uh, secure, like within our own body. Right. So like, this is emotionally, this is mentally, physically, socially, um, within our environment. Um, and of course that's not always perfect, right. When you have all these different areas you're pursuing and sometimes there's sacrifices to be made, for example, like as like an ultra endurance athlete, like I might be digging in real hard on the physical side and like socially my, my social bubbles might be lacking a little bit. Cause I don't have the time to socialize with friends as much, or it might look differently at that during that time, but there's a synergy to all of it. And I think that the most importantly to me is just like how we, if we are able to pursue and live our life in a way that meets, um, meets our goals, like that's health. All of our goals are very differently, right. Look differently. Like the goals that I have as a, you know, an ultra endurance athlete are going to be very different than like, uh, a mother, you know, after postpartum, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, different ways we can look at it. And you interview so many people from all the different sides of health too. Uh, like, it's funny as like an exercise science student, you know, you look at health in terms of training and fitness in the exercise world, but there's like community health. And there's so many other ways to look at like health. And, uh, I want to hear what other people's, how other people define that, but I like to look at it very holistically. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly look at it holistically. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with mm-hmm. their operational definition mm-hmm. of health. To me, I like, I like to clarify language. I'm like, okay, what is that? I ask this question. I always go, what does that mean when somebody tells me something? 
because I want them to explain themselves. And the easiest way mm. to break down someone's ideas about something is to make them explain their idea yeah. for it. And so I'm like, well, what's, what is health for that? I just, it's, it's such a um, broad spectrum, but I don't like how it's used in kind of our pop culture. It's like this person's healthy. Oh yeah. Or, you know, like it doesn't make sense to me. Oh, it's like, like it, people it looks using a the word certain con- way. It doesn't make sense how people mm-hmm. use it. It has no it has no relation to the original meaning of the word. So health, I think, is just like I'm eating healthy. Like, what does that mean? Like health and healthy too are very different, like totally different words. And and health is like a uh, a way of measuring, right? Of like where our not, I don't want to say even this physiological, because some people right. look at environmental health, community health, like there are, but let's look at it from the individual level right now. Like, where are you in terms of like your physiological capability and like all that from like top of your head down to the yeah. front of your body, like, and the energy inside of you, like we have a way to measure and look at that and how we are able to conduct ourselves in this world. Um, so I think maybe for the scope of this conversation, I'm going to look at it on the individual level. Cause there are times when like in my work, I'm doing uh, regional or local food system consulting and I'm looking at community health or there's times um, in like with my work, uh, professional work at like our algae startup, I'm looking at it environmental health and, and, and human health too, but I'm looking at health in a different context every single time. So I'm really glad that you're clarifying that. Cause I want to look at perhaps this on an individual level. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think like from my education, into kind of my real world practice, you know, when you're doing what we did, especially at JMU learning, mm-hmm. you know, in the kinesiology program, you, you, you get a lot of what's the physical aspect of health. What's the nutritional mm-hmm. aspect of mm-hmm. health, but you know, someone could have meet certain criteria to be physically very well, have a good well being, yeah. and have good nutritional practices and mm-hmm. sleep well but they're like have horrible coping mechanisms for stress in their oh life. Gosh, I, know. I would not consider that person to be a healthy person, even mm-hmm. though they met, I would, they have some components of meeting mm-hmm. some metrics of health, but they may have very faulty um, or they may not be doing very well in many of the other areas for Absolutely. that. Yeah. And I think for, I think we're shifting away from this as a society more and more, but you'd be shocked that how many people still continue to look at it this way as if health looks a certain way too. Mm, there's right. a certain aesthetic, uh, you're watching the way someone eats for a short blip period and moment, or you're like watching their exercise behaviors. And it is neglecting the elements of yes, like their coping mechanism, their sleep, like what is their environment? Like, what are their stress levels? Are they dealing with trauma? What are all the other aspects of this? And so we need to look like just zoom out a little bit because like health is, is not what's on the surface. Right. Most definitely. So let's get into, I was, we started the conversation about this series I'm doing uh, with Dr. Yarnishki about diet culture, decoding it where, since you've graduated to where you're now, what's the landscape of food and nutrition Mm -hmm. as you've seen it in your point of view during this time? Okay. So in order to answer that question, I should probably address my scope and my relationship to the work in food and nutrition because it has evolved so much. Mm-hmm. Okay. So starting at JMU, we were looking, 
we weren't studying nutrition. Nutrition was part of the course courses that we were taking, but we wouldn't call ourselves dietitians. Um, you'd have to go get a certification for nutrition and for further education to be an RD. So we were mostly looking um, on the exercise level. And it was during my time at JMU, I I probably, I, we talked about this, but it was a long time ago. And for those listening, I, I got injured during college and I had double hip surgery and it kept me out of swimming. I redshirted for a year and I like really faced a low point, like in my life, you know, on the topic of health, I was not healthy. I was mentally and emotionally really struggling as I was coming to terms and grappling. Who am I? What's my identity without swimming? My whole life, I had been Amanda the swimmer and during that time, it really forced me to look outside of the water for ways to um, implement myself and like be something in this world. And that was when I started to use that time to implement my ideas that I was having and, and realize that, wow, I'm so much more than Amanda the swimmer. Like I, I can make a difference outside of the pool. And, and I started a food truck at JMU that sourced local food and was also a hub for student entrepreneurships. And, and so students could do projects on campus. And I started a class and I got really involved in the local food system through that. And I went off to grad school for business at Wake Forest. And that was when I, I was like, okay, let me look at food from a business perspective. And so I was starting, I, I created a startup that was kind of like a blue apron for kids that focused on them taking ownership of their health from a young age. And I think that if we really want to change the health of society, it starts young. It starts in the behaviors and the processes, the mindsets of kids. It's really hard to change behaviors in adults. And I know you got, you did your yes. doctoral program on this. Yes, it's all it, about it has that. to start with kids. It has to. Yeah. And I love working with kids. I think they're the future. Like they just give me energy. I think I'm, because I still feel like one, I, I feel connected to them yeah. in a way that I, it gives me life and it reminds you like what really matters. And I love that. It was a really hard business logistically to run because of uh, the supply chain really with running, yeah. uh, one of those meal kit delivery companies. But from there I went into sustainability and I started consulting with the dining service at, at JMU. And I was working on health from an environmental and also from the human health perspective too, of are we like, what is the footprint of our food? Like, how does that contribute to the nutrient density of the food that we're getting environmental health and composting practices and recycling, um, operations and education. And then I started like shifting over into consulting work on the community level, working with farms. Now I work with an algae startup. And so I'm working with food and, and development of, of health on a more global level. We work with farms around the world and source algae. And a lot of us like that are probably listening to this, know the importance of algae, but algae can do so much more than just be food as a replacement for plastics, for petrochemicals, for pharmaceuticals. So we're looking at how we can replace a lot of these petroleum based and artificial dyes in our food chain, but with algae. And so now I'm writing about like my own experiences with food and, and with the non-recipe book and talking about my experiences in the athletic sphere and business sphere and how that carries over to life and looking at it on, on a much more individual level. So my to answer your question about like where I'm at with like, and how like our views on nutrition and food have changed, my own experiences in the field have changed a lot. And they like continue to take me to the next place. And I do, I do coaching with athletes, but more so on like the mindset development aspects and not like working on nutrition with them. Um, just because that's something that I feel really passionate about right now. Um, and, and those sort of shift and change, but in terms of nutrition, um, even five years ago, I felt like in, in school, we were talking a lot about, we were still looking at uh, a very prescribed way of diet 
right? Like in order to have a healthy diet, you know, obviously low sugar, your plate needs to look this certain way with vegetables and a protein and a grain, and you need to meet these certain calories, calories in calories out. And you know, it's undergrad, you're not going through all the complexities that are involved with how like our perception of food changes our way that we're, we're digesting it or our relationship with food or where we're getting our food or how it's packaged in the footprint of our food. I almost feel like it's a curse and a blessing that I've had so many different careers in food because Mm -hmm. I hate how much it sort of haunts me because food is Mm. so complex to me. Food is so nuanced. And that was the hardest part with writing my book. Who am I to tell someone how to eat when that's not my place? That's for them to figure out for themselves. And it's not my place to tell them this is the way your plate needs to look like their access to food looks different than mine, how their body utilizes food, how, what I eat as an athlete is completely different and unrealistic for most people. (laughs) And so, I mean, like I, I address that front, like front, front page of my book. I'm basically like, this is not about like me telling you what to eat. This is about you finding that for yourself. And that is the biggest thing for me. I'm not so naive to believe that there's one way to eat. There's one diet. And I, it is definitely like an anti-diet book and like all the sense that it's not about like prescribing this perfect plate for someone, but that perfect plate is from their own experience and experiment, being experimental with themselves and figuring out what that is. And I think if anything, over the past five years, I learned, and I think most people working in this field, like the ones that you've been interviewing too. I listened to the interview with Cassie, Christopher, and I'm like, so yeah. much of what she was saying, I was like, yes, yes, preach woman. We got it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, so like, I am so on board with that because if, if you're working with anyone, you know, it's not like a one size fits all, like, right. why would we ever, ever, ever look at it that way? Cause it's so, it changes so much. And I love looking, I, you know, there's been some really interesting, interesting studies about like how we perceive the food that we're eating and how that changes the way that our body utilizes it. And, and I think like, when we look at studies like that, we can recognize this is not as simple on, as it seems on the surface with a nutrition label. Like this no. is complicated stuff. Yeah. Like, why do we think that we know this? <laughs> Cause we why don't do we think we know this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, let's just recognize that there are so many complexities to this. It's not that simple. We can make it simple by stop overcomplicating it. But I think when we try to tell people what to do, it's, it's, you're just doing them a disservice. It's kind of like to like, I remember, I'm going to go back to JMU again. Yeah. And, I mean, we had great, great professors. There. Absolutely. I, I mean, incredible. I'm so friends with so many of them. Yes. Like with them. And I think that they were ahead of their time in a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. But I, I specifically remember, I think it was in Dr. Saunders class. Maybe. Oh, yeah. But we were talking about the Harris family study. And essentially how like you can provide the same stimulus to all these people related to each other over decades. And, and let's say VO2 max, you're going to get a zero to 93% uh, improvement. And these people are very closely related and you have twins and things mm-hmm. just that you can't apply the same stimulus to all these different people, even when they're closely related and get the same result. So you mm-hmm. can't cookie cut the stimulus to someone mm-hmm. And we try to do that with food with people as, hey, this plant based is right. This is the right thing. OK, maybe, maybe not. Carnivore is this, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's so individualized. And I think we have to be careful. Like you said, who am I to tell someone what to do? Yep. You know, but then on the other end, I think with Cassie, you listen to that one. I pushed her a little bit about the whole yeah. health at every size. Yeah, you did because I feel like we need to have a more, we can't just be blanket stating statement things yeah. here because yeah. there are realities to being 
either a super like being anorexic, mm-hmm. bulimic, or being like seven, 800 pounds, like, okay, what is the criteria for health at that level? Okay, maybe that's the action towards getting, mm-hmm. moving towards better yeah. health. That could be it. But just to make blanket statements, I think that's where we're getting a lot of problems yeah. is we blanket statement the hell out of stuff in our society. We hear a buzzword and we like latch on. Yeah, throw it in, but there's no nuance. You got to have the nuance and the context because without that, someone's going to listen to that and think, I don't really have to do anything. I'm healthy at this size. You know, like, yeah, but you may be having the reality is you may have metabolic disease. You may, yes. you know, have diabetes. You maybe have card, you know, cardiorespiratory mm-hmm. failure and, and you go, well, I'm fine because I'm healthy at whatever size I'm at. Yeah. There's realities to this. And I think when I hear health at every size, how I, how I interpret that is it's an invitation for us to reframe what health looks like. Right. That does not mean that you are necessarily quote unquote in the best of health for yourself at a certain body weight, but a certain body weight for someone might actually be their default and, and their best ability to, to, you know, feel energized in their life to actually like their blood levels might be great. Um, there's all these different aspects to it. Their hormones might be at the best possible way they've been. And, and it's not just like, you know, the media is so good at showing us a certain body type and this is what health looks like. And Right. And then we begin to attach what we look like and how we define it. And I'm not, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole. But, <laughs> it's a big um, rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps we can just look at like haze as and health at every size as an invitation to reframe how we are seeing health. And let's look at other measures for it than just our body size. Um, and, and there's certainly a lot of people that are in larger bodies that then have are in the best of health ever. And correct. And let's support that. Um, at the same size, I also know people that quote unquote, have that ideal body type and are eating very poorly and <laughs> felt, feel lethargic. They don't sleep right. well. Yeah. Um, and they, they, you know, can't run. There's all these different things in there and their muscles are hurting. That's not that to me, that doesn't feel, feel like health. That doesn't feel like revitalizing no. boundless energy within my body. And I think like health comes from the inside out. And so we do need to look a little bit deeper under like what, you know, what is health? I like that's an invitation. I like that. mm -hmm. That's why I just, I just want to have a nuanced conversation about stuff. I don't want to tell somebody like, yup, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Research. Yeah. I'm like, listen, there are extremes to each end of the spectrum that are not good for you. That's just Mm -hmm. the reality. Just like, you're not going to win everything. Yeah. You can't, you're just not going to get everything you want. And you're not at these far far ends of the galaxy of health. These are not good. They're just, that's the reality. You can't reframe it any other way. You could be moving towards a better, you could be getting better and making action, but at that current state at that extreme level, it's not good. And I don't think mm-hmm. it does any, that person well to tell them they're doing fine when they're dying. <laughs> like, like, mm-hmm. like, so I think it's just a more nuanced conversation is really important. And because the, the public needs that we need a more nuanced conversation and invitation. And that's why I pushed her on that. Cause I was like, yeah, see, you're, you're a dietitian and stuff. You got to be careful what you say. If somebody is going to hear that and go, see, it's going to confirm that they don't need to do anything. And we're only re- looking out for what already validates our belief, right? That's so right. You're already looking for that. that. Mm-hmm. You need to have a, you need to be able to like break it down in different sectors and go, okay, yes, I'm supportive of you in that you're moving towards 
this direction, yeah. but currently it's not good. Yeah. It's like, we've, it's like, we're like, we don't want to tell people bad things. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I think, um, there, when it comes to behavior change, right. Like it's, it can feel defeating and, and, and it's not encouraging when you tell someone, Hey, this is your static way of your body. There's no yeah. way that it can change. Like, let's look at small behavior tweaks. Sure. And, and I like that you guys had this conversation too. So we don't need a whole, like really repeat sure. it, but can it start with like getting up early and going for a walk and watching the sunrise. Yes. And I think that like, there's a flywheel effect to us doing good for ourselves. And this is where I love to talk about like in my writing, the, the power of self-respect and self-compassion and how that changes our behavior and how we treat ourselves. If we look at ourselves as something that we want to care for, then we do better for ourselves. So if we start like changing a little tweak in how we're eating, maybe we're growing our own food and we're like right. having a lot of fun and experimenting with the tomatoes that are coming into our garden. And then we begin to notice how it's making us feel and we become more energized. So we start to like walk twice a week now. And then we are, our sleep schedule becomes more regular and we stop watching TV in the morning and we stop eating cookies at night. And there's all these different things that are happening. And each of those things siloed by themselves are not necessarily bad things. You can eat the cookies at night and you can watch the Netflix. I do it too. Right. Sure. But like, what I'm Same saying here. is you like, yeah. you want to do these things for yourself. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, I feel so good. This is an act of self-love for myself. And that's how I look at food. Food can be an act of self-love for ourselves. And food has felt so much more spiritual to me than anything over the past couple of years. And that's, what's drawn me to write and talk about it because how we live and eat and talk and move is all connected. Yes. And, and when we begin to look at how it's all related, we our relation to it, to it changes and we want to change how we're eating because we know how it changes, how we feel and how we show up in this world and food has the power to do that. I think the kitchen is a great starting point because we don't have to do it perfectly. And if we can practice doing that, then that can carry over to life. And, and I do look at our relationship to food as like a microcosm for like how we interact with this world. And that's why I talk about like nourishing our inner and our outer world, because when we can nourish our inner world, we can have a better impact outside of it too. And like that starts with our plate. And, and that's how Agreed. I like to look at food now. Man. Yeah. I'm teaching my daughter how to cook right now. I love that. And she loves it. She made dinner for us last night and she's 11, oh. you know, and she is really getting into it. And I like what you said, like, it really does yeah. start. It starts at home. It starts with the, the plate in the mm -hmm. beginning. And I feel like sometimes we don't address that enough. We try to put it on these other factors in society, but really it starts with mm -hmm. the genesis start with us. of with us. It starts with the home. Mm -hmm. You teach that to your children, how you mm -hmm. take in the beginning, because kids are so malleable. They're so malleable. Unlike oh. adults who are like, it's hard, you know, to, oh my you know, behavior change is incredibly difficult once you've started cementing certain ideas oh. about yourself and activities, but kids, they're just like, man, oh yeah. Gosh. Tell me, tell me, tell yeah, me. Yeah. Darian, like here, you say that you've given your daughter the greatest gift. Let me tell you something. So uh, I grew up with three younger brothers. I'm the oldest of four. And from a very young age, my parents forced me to pack my own lunch. Yep. And my parents have this story on, on Thanksgiving. They were watching the Macy's day parade on TV and I was really pissed about it. I didn't want to watch the Macy's day. Parade. <laughs> so I, I took my brothers and I put them in a, in a trailer and I ran away, but I was six. And my parents tell me that like, I didn't bring anything else, but I remember to pack them food. Like I 
thought to myself that this is really important to keep them alive. I'm going to bring food for them. I made them a hamburger. And like my parents were so impressed at six years old that I could like find a way to compile a hamburger. (laughs) And the, I think there's something to be said about us taking ownership of our health from a young age. And what I learned and being forced to pack my own lunch from a young age was the very direct relationship between what I put into my body and how I felt. And I also began to feel very comfortable creating in the kitchen that I, I knew how to combine flavors. I knew how to make things and that like, it was okay if I messed up that yeah. like, it wasn't the end of the world. And I know I'm very fortunate to say that because like, let's say I mess up a meal. I can, you know, find some cereal and I'll survive. And I know everyone doesn't have that, that luxury, but what it did enable me to do from a very young age was, was like, learn how to navigate a grocery store and learn how to yeah. cook for myself and my family at that, at that time. And I credit so much of my relationship to my body because of how I ate as a kid yep. and I growing, being in a sport that you're very exposed in a swimsuit all the time. Like my body was critiqued. My stomach was pinched. Like we had caliper testing. Like I have every reason in the book to really struggle with body image. And I really think I keep coming back to this is my dad never let me watch commercials. He never let me like see what food marketing was out there or like what a body was supposed to look like. And I, I cared for my body because I fed it. And by you giving that to your daughter, it's, it's just the greatest gift because she's going to love herself because of that, because she fed herself and she's independent and she can give herself that. And then she sees how amazing it feels to nourish other people. Yes. And that (laughs) like, that is such a gift that lasts for life. And that is why I was so passionate about teaching those kids to cook, because if we don't do that, then of course, we're going to rely on the quick, convenient food that we have. And we're going to miss that opportunity to feed ourselves and nourish ourselves. And I mean, that's the most beautiful gift we can give ourselves. I think. I think it's one of the incredible things that are necessary to be an adult and take care of yourself is eating yourself. And, uh, and I would, I mean, I never forget that I'm, I'm raising a future adult Yes. and I want her to be able to take care of herself. And, and part of that is taking care of yourself nutritionally and being able to cook, you know, and she made this meal for herself the other day too. And she goes, gosh, she was making like, like these gyozas. Oh my Uh, gosh. She's like really into this stuff. (laughs) She goes, it tastes better when you make it yourself. How great that is that? Kind of stuff makes, melts my heart. Right? It That's tastes how we better. all feel though. Right? It's just like when the kid knows it. it. They'll just say it, you know. But well, they're not like adults who are like, should I say this? I don't know if I Yeah, I know. Like, I don't want to sound cocky, but yeah. like, no, but everything tastes better when we work for it. Let's go back to exercise. That's the right. result is sweeter when we put in the work. If we were to show up at the finish line and win, it doesn't have meaning to it because we didn't find ourselves in that process. It's not meaningful. Same goes with our food. When we show up and we put in the work and we invested in ourselves, like that's the process of that is what matters. It's less about the outcome, but it does always taste sweeter when we give ourselves that. And I love how she looks at food that way. You can look at food as something more than like calories and calories out. It's just fueling my tank, right? Like, no, like she had a beautiful process and making that meal and that in and of itself is nourishing. It's also too, when you're growing up, if your parents don't teach you or someone, it just feels like you're living in a restaurant or something like, 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 oh, I'm hungry. Feed me. Yeah. (laughs) I'll have grilled cheese tonight, please. Right. You know, and and I mean, I know so many adults who do not know how to cook. Like Mm -hmm. they do not know how to feed themselves. So they live off of like 
Uber Eats and DoorDash yeah. and all this stuff. And listen, it tastes delicious. It's coming from a restaurant you probably love and stuff, but it's still, there's something spiritual, social, emotional. Mm-hmm. Like when I, I learned to cook in high school, I took gourmet foods and international foods my senior year of high school. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And it was, it was in Virginia uh, where I went to high school and it was, it was like, I was the only guy in the class, the only guy. <laughs> But I learned Another how to make stereotype, right? I mean, it's just like a big stereotype, yeah. right? I mean, it's like yeah. a huge thing. But I was like confident when I got to college. I always made food for myself. And to this day, I, you know, always cook food for my family. And I set the mood. I put music on, you know, have some wine or whatever, relax. And I was like, this is just like exercise to me. I'm setting the stage to be successful. Yes. And yes. I'm putting the love in it, you know, and people say, put the love mm-hmm. into it. Yes. You know? love. And, and I love it. My dad was uh, the cook in the house growing up. So I definitely like the stereotypical, like American norms were definitely shifted for me. Yeah. But I account a lot of my eating behaviors to my dad and how I observed him. He always had a garden. They I joke my first, my first birthday was this like inedible carrot cake. It was so hard. And it was like, <laughs> They tried, they just didn't want to feed me junk as a kid. Like they were like, we're not going to give her candy and we're going to put good things into her body. And, you know, with my brothers, it kind of got a little bit harder and harder, obviously, you know, raising children, has got to be so hard. And, but I am so grateful for the way that my parents raised me and my relationship with food. And I mean, there's so many tangents to that and talking about like how our health behaviors is so much a result of our environment too. And like, there's so many variables involved in that or socioeconomic status, but um, at the end of the day, like. I think what I also want to get to is that you said that you learned how to cook for yourself and so many people don't. And I think a lot of people are really intimidated by the kitchen. Yeah. And, and that was another, uh, you know, kind of pinnacle moment for me to write my book was that it doesn't need to look or be a certain way. Like you can make it your own and you can screw it up and you can start over. And, and I look at cooking as this like design iterative process where every time it's not going to be perfect every time, like you might screw it up. And you might need to start over. You might need to scratch that. But like, how do you taste this one thing and begin to play around here and put a little bit of this in? Oh, I need this today. So I'm going to add this here. I have this variable. I only have these this thing in my pantry. Like no matter your resources, no matter what you have, believing that you have the power to create something with it is a really powerful skill. And I think that skill is very applicable to life because if we believe that no matter what we are given, no matter the situation that we in, that we can do something about it and we have the, the self-control and we have the ability to, to change our situation, that is to me, like that's controlling and designing your own life. Right. And don't we want yeah. to, to have that, um, sort of feeling of like, we're the ones in charge, we're the ones leading our life. And, and like that starts in the kitchen too. There's so many lessons that come from the <laughs> yeah. kitchen, uh, so like, that's another reason I love it so much. Like I, food is so, so much more than just, you know, nutrition. It is. And I, I mean, it's, talking about it. it's communal. I mean, like, mm-hmm. and you know, we always eat as a family and we chat yes, and stuff. And I think, again, that's not happening as much in today's society, but I think it's, it's one of the good throwbacks that is critically important mm-hmm. for developing communication skill, you know, the process of seeing someone make something and the effort they put into it and appreciating that effort, gratitude for it, gratitude, placing it on the table, the uh, presentation of it. Mm -hmm. I I teach my daughter that presentation of food as well and making it like, even like to warm you up, kind of the warm up, like, Oh, that smells good. Oh man, I'm getting ready to have something amazing. You know, like you're more mindful, you're more mindful, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, you know, that family time, that quality time together to enjoy a meal is 
you know, you can't even put a, a value on that. That is, that's going to be everlasting for her yeah. to sit down and have that. And, and I try as much as possible to like, you know, have a meal with a friend once a week, at least for us to yeah. make dinner together. And my partner and I always eat together. Um, I grew up in a really busy household. We all did sports. And another reason why I learned to cook for myself without a necessity, like right. we were going to swim practice until 8 PM at night. And sometimes I had like, we didn't have the luxury to sit down together as a family yeah. and you know, I turned out okay, but yeah. <laughs> um, it made me really want that for when I got older and for what, yeah. like how important that is for me. And, and there's so much research around the value of sitting down as a family and having a meal together and what that, how we learn from that behavior too, and how that we then pass that down into, to our lifestyle. So like what you're doing there is like, that's incredibly powerful for health. Thank you. Yeah. The whole, what's the term like breaking bread with another person, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. like, I think again, these kind of older terms that have a lot of relevance for our overall health, you know, just spending time with people and something that feels sacred, almost feeding yourself is sacred. Almost. It it's, is. it's a, it, I mean, it fuels your body. It gives you energy. Yes. Uh, it's, it's so important. And doing it in a way that um, is slow, that's intentional is an active resistance to much of what our society <laughs> wants us to do. They want us to have convenient food. They want us to yeah. just, you know, eat out. And to me, I look at like self-care and nourishing myself as like this radical rebellion, right. To be like, no, nope, that I'm going to do this for myself. Like, even though the world wants me to like, keep going fast and not slow down and continue just like output, 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 I'm going to take a second and I'm going to tend to my garden. I'm going to plant the seeds. I'm going to nourish myself. I'm going to cook a meal for someone because I'm going to slow down. And like, yes. I know how that makes me feel. And it's hard to slow down and do that. But food helps us. Food like helps us like put the pause and it puts play into it as well. Like there is a sense of playfulness in the kitchen that um, we can like, just look at it differently. Food can feel very laborious for people. Cooking can feel like a chore. Right. And I don't yeah. think it needs to feel like a chore. Of course, there's times we're all tired. I get it. Of course. I'm not like, I'm not immune to all of that. Like, <laughs> I'm not immune to burnout. I, I know exactly. I can write to it because I know it so intimately. I feel yeah. like I live that life and I'm like, no, how do I continue to inject fun, inject nourishment into this? And yeah, it's, it is like a, a little act of resistance there. That's for sure. I love that. I don't think I've ever heard that been put that way before. <laughs> it's an act of resistance against mm -hmm. convenience. Yes, uh, it is. It is. Food. And oh. every time we have to show up and do that, cause it's so easy. Like at the end of the day, when you're exhausted from your work day, or like you're trying to squeeze your workout in or get the kids off to soccer practice, it's easy to be like, we're just going to get Taco Bell today. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. It's come on. Easy. And I get it. Like sometimes yeah. like, yeah, that's important. And we need to just like, know what we need in that moment. But many times it's because like, we've been told like, just take the convenient option. But yeah. like we talked about, like the, the inconvenient option, which is sometimes making your own food, like it's always worth it. It's always more meaningful and it always leads us better in the end. It really does. I mean, you're speaking some amazing stuff here. Seriously. <laughs> like I was like, I have to really digest this act of resistance that landed in my brain. And it was like, have not heard this before. We need to tabulate this tabulation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's really, really I like, love it. Oh file man. that in the folder there. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> blew my mind because I don't think I thought about this kind of renegade aspect of cooking mm -hmm. at home. Like, like to me, gardening is one of the greatest things you could do as mm -hmm. a human. Absolutely. I've gotten deep into gardening the last two years. Oh. And I grow all of our produce. 
and I grow seasonally. I got a bunch of pumpkins growing in my backyard That's right cool. now. Those are amazing. You want to talk yes. about spiritual plant? A pumpkin is crazy. Incredible. So any, any sort of squash, like with pumpkin included, yeah. it is mind blowing the yield you get out of one seed. <laughs> it's crazy. I have so much butternut squash. I don't, <laughs> I'm going to have a butternut squash party because right. we have so much, we have dozens of butternut squash from one plant. It's crazy, I mean, right? We, there's, we live in an urban setting and we also grow our vegetables and we have a front yard garden. And it was very intentional, not only because of the, you know, the South facing yeah. light, but every time someone walks by, like they know, they see us working in the garden. They have a conversation with us about it. They see the food that it's growing. We can even give things to people, our neighbors right. that don't have a garden. And it shows that like, we don't need to have a perfectly green, you know, yard. It can, we can be feeding ourselves with the land that we have. Yes. And, and of course, like there's so many benefits to that in our you know path to our food ways and how we're getting food into our kitchens. But I think let's talk about the spiritual aspect of it. Watching something grow and tending to it is the most beautiful process. Incredible. And it just grounds us so deeply in ourselves and the, the magic of this world, like just to watch our garden grow it. Uh, yeah. It's, it's mind blowing, mind blowing. And it doesn't need to be crazy. You can start with a basil plant. You can start with one cherry tomato plant. That'll be enough for one person and your whole block. Like it doesn't need to be this crazy. You don't need to have a whole farm. Like just no. put a couple of seeds in the garden and watch it grow. And it, it forces you to get creative in the kitchen because you have all this produce that you're growing and you're like, I want to preserve this, or I want to make a certain meal with it. But also it just connects you to, to the, your out, like the world that you're in. Yes. And I think that's the most beautiful part for us is feeling that connection with the planet. I think it just makes you more environmentally aware. Mm -hmm. And then when you're like, like seriously, stuff like zucchini, I mean, you don't really have to do anything. It's no. like explodes all the yeah. time. And then potatoes, yeah. super easy. Yes. And I mean, literally you, you take them out of the ground and you have so many pounds and pounds of potato. Right. It's just like, great. We're making the food. I'm like, we got all of this out of our garden. Like <sighs> it's so easy. You want to cut down your grocery bill? Garden garden. garden. Yeah, it, it's so simple. And we kept <laughs> so all of simple. our rainwater. Like we're not paying for water for it. Like we just capture the water that's coming out of the sky, yep. you know, putting it into a tank, watering the garden. I mean, it really doesn't take much effort. And I mean, I live in Virginia, so like I'm in a different sort of gardening sure. zone than you are, yep. but in Washington, but it's, I think for the most part, anywhere, like in the U S you can kind of at least put some like plants, some herbs in a pot yeah. and make it grow. Even in college, I had lettuce going in my room. I, I love like, lettuce. Yeah. It, it's so, so easy. easy. Lettuce yeah. is so easy. And actually, if you get a head of lettuce at the grocery store, you can just put like, if you cut it, you take the whole head off and exactly. that in water, it'll grow. It's Same amazing. Yeah. It, a lot of these things, like you don't need to go even buy seeds for it. You can just no. grow it with what you get at the grocery store. And yeah, again, we're kind of removed from our food system. And that's really important for me around education. And, and when I try to think about, oh, do I want to focus on the systems level, the individual, the community level? I like, like to have touch points in all of it because it, it's like, yes, the individual behavior matters, but then the system needs to support it. And they need to have the education at the community level. Like all these things matter in order for someone to uh, cre create health in their life right? They need to know how to do it. They need to have the education, but we need to build a system around it for them to do it. Yeah. If people aren't empowered with education around gardening or, the, or have tools to make it happen, then they'll never be able to implement on those behaviors. Right. But we need to create that. 
And, and then what about when the food is grown? How do we get it back into the community? Is there, are there classes on preserving the food so we can can it and get, put that in the grocery stores or sell it at the farmer's market? Like there's so many ways that we can keep our food systems really, really tight and keep it yes. local. And, and sometimes we like, why are we shipping things across the country when we can just do it right here? And that's like a really frustrating thing when I, you know, work with communities and, and with our regional food system, I'm like, ah, this could be so easy. It yeah. exists. Like people, you guys are growing so much food and you have a surplus of peppers right now. Let's do something with this. Right. So there's so much room for action and yeah, but it starts with ourselves too. It does. And we have more technology at our hands. I mm -hmm. mean, a lot of the stuff I learned about gardening was through YouTube. I just started yeah. watching videos and I was That's like, cool. okay, this is when I take this out of the ground. This is like how I start this. Yeah. It's like so much information. Google is pretty crazy what it, yeah. you can find on there. You know, you find anything, man, how yeah. to do stuff. It's it's actually incredible. The access Yeah. that we think about the time. I remember when I was a freshman at JMU and I had never had an email account before. I didn't even know what it was. And somebody told me what email was and that I probably had one and I should probably <laughs> check it. And I remember going to a computer lab on campus Oh I was like, this is wild. Somebody sent me a letter like through electronically to now you can just look stuff up online. Anything. How will you ever forget that? That is such a, you know, turning point in your life. Like after that, you're like, well, I've never not used email since it's actually I remember like it was yesterday. It was like I had <laughs> it was a roommate. No, I, I lived in the Hojo my freshman year. The Howard Johnson. Was was oh, so oh, yeah, it was. They've changed the name. It's not Howard Johnson anymore. <laughs> what a. It was a terrible experience. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was like yeah. the worst part of my time. Oh, yeah. That's obviously not a dorm anymore. No, but it was like bad living in a hotel. You think maybe yeah. this would be fun. No, it definitely wasn't. Yeah. But one of the guys who lived a couple hotel room doors down from me basically was like, dude, you have an email address. Like, and I was like, what is this? Like, and I'm <gasps> like, reading, somebody it? wrote me. I had no clue. Like, and so I think coming from that 20 something years ago to where we are now, where you could learn how to make stuff, build stuff mm -hmm. online, mm -hmm. take care of yourself, grow things. We have yeah. so much disposal, but we also have so much convenience. So we're at mm -hmm. this, like this dichotomy between, I just don't want to do it. Yeah. Come feed me. Just yeah. bring it to me. Or I think we're just exhausted. I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but like we we're we're lacking curiosity to yeah. even look up these things and search them because <laughs> yeah. so much stimulus in our life, like the scrolling and the constant the switch to right. quick videos, it, it really zaps us of our inner like our innate curiosity that we yeah. have. And like most curious people would be like, Oh, I'm watching a seed grow. What is this? What can this be? Yeah. How do I harvest it? Yeah. Is this edible? You, you know, there's so much to be curious about in our world. There's so much awe around us, but right. Unfortunately, there's also a lot that draws us away from seeing the all and finding the beauty in it that we stop researching and looking up these things. And I really try to keep a mindset of curiosity and awe in me because I find when I'm in that headspace, I, I want to learn more. I want to be better. I go in, like, I see the world in a beautiful way, yeah. but like our, we have a lot of systems and convenience in our world that kind of strips that from us. Yeah, most definitely. I tell you, yeah. this has been a great conversation. I know this really has. You know, I feel like, like I could like, just like go 20 minutes talking about that, but I'll stop there. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> I want to, uh, uh, focus on your book towards the end here. Mm. Tell us a little bit about your book, how people can get it the whole thing yeah. like that. Well, I, so my book, I, I, it's been cool. I've been very open about the process the whole time and have shared that process with people. I crowdfunded it in order just to launch it and get editors. So I've 
taking people along the whole journey. And right now, uh, my friend's illustrating it because I, I do think there's so much power to focusing on that process that I talked about that I felt like a photo of my food was a disservice, right? Mm. It like showed someone, this is the way it needs to look and be like, and if it's not this way, then you failed. And the whole point of my book is, is saying the opposite. It's saying like, fuck it up, try it. Let's right, do it. You know, right. let's get in the kitchen and, and learn through the process. And so my book's called the non-recipe book. And it's about like teaching you to find your own recipe in the kitchen and also in life. And it's honestly about finding your own unique ingredients. It's not yeah. like in yourself and, and how that happens in the kitchen. But it started because I wanted to write a recipe book. I cared a lot about food and my experiences across the food system. I wanted to bridge that with like in a writing form that like lived much further beyond an Instagram post. And I was like, wow, it took me like two weeks of like tracking my recipes to be like, I'm the last person to write a recipe book. I've never followed a recipe my entire life. And I haven't followed one in life either. And so it's, it's called the non recipe book because it's about finding your own. And it's, when we talked about people not being equipped with the understanding of how to cook in the kitchen, I really want to start there. Like this is for people that might resonate with like a non-recipe process of kind of just like winging it and seeing what's in the pantry and throwing it at a pan and hoping it turns into magic. But I do have like a step-by-step process of like, how do we take inventory of ourselves and know what we need in that moment? How do we use the resources that we have to cook for ourselves? How do we get creative and read and research and figure out how to make something with it and how to prototype it and become experimental and then how to really nourish ourselves. And so the book is like this half soul, half science, where I take a lot of research across mindset development and entrepreneurship and neurodiversity and behavioral science and design thinking. And then it's like the soul side of it, of like the ways that I've really connected to food that I think those are like the stories that resonate, no matter what your experience is that like, they're very human experiences that we can all connect to and how the kitchen has served as a place for me to dive deeper within myself and connect deeper to the world around me. So right now we're illustrating those last parts. It should be sent off to the printer like next week. Like when I go to Italy to race, like we are sending it off to the printer. It's, it's crazy. And then it takes like three weeks to print from there. And it should be here, like the first week of November. And it'll Beautiful. be on Amazon. It'll be on my website, amandapressgraves.com. So that you can, I had pre-order set in advance. Like that's how I raised money. So the pre-order is closed, but starting like beginning of November, it'll be online to purchase. That's fantastic. Yeah. That is so cool. And uh, man, I, every time, you know, seeing you is so funny. You have a doppelganger. Like, no way. I'm telling you, it's like 98% Who is like it? you. Her name is Brett. She was my roommate in college at JMU, like my my master's degree. She was a kinesiology student also. And um, research. Yeah. And she was on the JMU track team, women's track team. And uh, I don't know why I haven't talked to her in many, many years. I can't remember her last name, but like, (laughs) I'm like, this is insane how much you guys look alike. Isn't it hard to like, like disconnect from that? Yes. (laughs) like, Like, it's like, weird it's you had you guys are like twins like looking people to me oh my gosh i love when i hear i have a doppelganger yeah it's like it's definitely there i it's crazy i gotta connect with my soul sister yeah it's and (laughs) and like also like nutrition like i was like what is this like yeah like like our interests overlap yeah very similar oh my Um, goodness crazy yeah, so, I probably threw you a curveball. Then when you had to keep like being like, no, this is not. I was Brad. like, this, this is, is not Brett. This is Amanda Pressgraves. There you go. She's going to Italy. I mean, she's yeah. like, different person, different person. This is a different person. Many years later. Many years later, but very 
there was a big article, I think in time or something about doppelgangers that I recently really? read and how like people actually do share some genetic material of their doppelganger, apparently. Whoa. And they had well, this, all imagine. these pictures yeah. of people who look very, very similar, but are not related technically, you know? I'm totally going to read that article. I'm telling you, man. Okay. <laughs> and I'd be interested to see what genetics we share. Telling you, it's freaky, actually. It's cool. Freaky. I love to hear that. I've had people stop me and been like, uh, oh God, I used to get Miley Cyrus. Oh, okay, I can see that. But back in the day, like Hannah yeah. Montana, Miley Cyrus. Sure. Uh, and then- uh, I, you know, I've had people stop me. I was in California one time and someone was like, can I take a photo of you? Like you look just like my friend. And I don't feel like I look familiar. You know, there are certain people that no, you just don't look familiar. They're like, you're like, Oh, you, there's a lot of people that look like that. I don't, no, I I've never felt that way about myself, but maybe I just think that I'm like special. You no, know? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think, I think you have a fairly unique, like thank you and stuff. Yeah. And like, okay. I don't think there's many people that look like you, <laughs> but the ones that do that, I know it's like a dead on thing. I'm it's totally like Googling this girl afterwards yeah. <laughs> telling you, like, I, I probably will figure out her last name after this, but it's like, yeah, I it's hope actually she weird. To this too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to send her the podcast. Like, wow. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's cool because no one looks like me. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> like, well, this... just wait. I'm going to find your doppelganger. You find my doppelganger. Yeah, you're going to be like, I'm not so special after all. Like, No, I am special. Why do you say that? <laughs> no, that's just so true. We're all special. And it's funny. We can, you know, we can look like someone else, but there's someone yeah, more inside of us. Exactly. Well, listen, have a great race next week. Thank you. Time with your mom. Thank you. Also. Yeah, it's going to be special. It's been cool to throw this plan together very last minute. And it kind of just, there's no time to get nervous. There's just eagerness. Yeah. There's just excitement for it. So, I mean, I'm still figuring out like where I'm going to stay and yeah. where I'm going to go and how I'm going to get wow. there. But the thing is we figure it out. We make yeah. it work. And like, I know my, that to be true for my personal experiences. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This is really fun to jam and talk. And of course. I look forward to hearing more of your podcast too. And the guests you have on are all such rock stars. There's so much to learn from them, such a range of topics that you cover. And oh, I appreciate a lot range. of crazy stuff coming up. You'll see. <laughs> I'm like, well, well I always look through all the, because I always book several months out. Yeah. And I'm like, I look through, I'm like, there's going to be some really interesting people on. Like I have uh, not, a lot of people write books, a lot of people writing books, mm, but I cool. have some people who are like, you know, reporters from Vox. And then I have oh, wow. a lady who is pretty well-known fitness historian. And oh, she has a book coming out called Fit Nation. That looks like incredible. And uh, oh. so there's some really interesting, I'm starting to get some different people who are like on the journalistic level, writing about really mm. interesting stuff Yeah, uh, as well. So oh, I can't wait to hear those. I love exposing myself to different ways of looking at maybe our connection yeah. with food or the history of it. It's that's all incredibly fascinating. But then cool. you'll like, I'll, then I'll turn you on a dime. And then the next episode will be about like a professional cuddler and a dominatrix. Like, it'll just be like crazy wild shit. Yes. <laughs> when you thought you were understanding what this is all about. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes, so depends. awesome. I yeah. love that. I mean, kind of, you got to keep people guessing. Like we always, people, I think our brains last thing and then we you know, will hop off, but it's easy for us to put people and things in a box and be like, we understand this because this is easy for us to wrap our head around and our little brains can't take on too much uncertainty. So we kind yeah. of pigeonhole people. And I find like that was always really challenging for me and explaining like what I do and who I am, because it's really easy to be like, I'm Amanda, the professional athlete, or I'm Amanda, the author, but like I'm Amanda, the 100 things. And 
that confuses people. And I've stopped just like trying to make sense to people. And yeah. I, that's made it a lot easier to pursue all my projects because it's not like I, I never met someone like me necessarily who has a bunch of different things going on. And once I just accepted that, oh, like I don't have to be one thing to like appeal and yeah. appease to one person and like help them understand what I am. Like I can be all these different things and yeah. I don't care if they don't get it, it's but fine. it makes sense to me. That's and that's right. what matters. Exactly. This makes sense to me. We're doing yeah. this is awesome. This is fantastic. Well, thanks Thank for having you. me. This was really great. Thank you, Miss Amanda Pressgraves. Uh, <laughs> we'll be in touch. All right. Cool, Darian. Thank you.